Welcome to Kineo Stream of Thought. My name is Paul Westlake, I'm a Solutions Consultant at Kineo, and today we're going to be talking about social learning. I'm joined by Nina Brebner, Account Director, James Corey Wright, Head of Learning Design, and I'm Jed Anderson, Head of Consulting. So I guess the best place to start is the obvious question. What do we mean by social learning? Jess, do you want to pick that one up? Sure. Social learning um, very much is something that we've been doing for millennia, really. Since we've been able to communicate, we have been learning socially, learning from each other. Um, And for me, that is the key element to it. It's about how do we share knowledge? How do we acquire knowledge? How do we contribute to other people's knowledge as part of a community or as part of society? Um, I think the the vehicle which we'll go on to talk about has become technology, but ultimately that's that's only all that's all it is is just a vehicle. So I think when we talk about social, people think about social media as potentially something they do outside, do do, do at home, or they've got Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts and all that good stuff. But how do we see social fitting in in the workplace? I think from my perspective. Social learning already exists in the workplace, and I think, as Jez is saying, we really shouldn't lose sight of that. People still turn to the person to their left and right and ask questions. We still build up a network of confidants during our time within organisations or as part of our, our careers, and we still lean on those. And those are, in effect, social learning. It's just that they are less engineered in the way that they function and aren't necessarily sitting under a form of formal heading of social learning. And is that part of the problem, do you think, with the, or the misunderstanding with social learning, is that we're trying to pigeonhole some, something that has been going along all along and we've all been doing to suddenly it needs a tag and it needs to be put in a specific place? I think it's a bit of both. I think there's an element of are we trying to make a bigger deal out of something that already naturally happens within organisations? But I think we also have to be realistic about the nature of which organisations are developing. We've become much more globalised and not necessarily where we would have existed in one country very independently from another one. We now cross over countries in the way that we share, in the way that we work together, skills, services, all of those kind of things. And social learning needs to be able to service that change in organisations. People are much more remote in the way that they work now. Um, and for that, social learning starts to feed into to the nature of which people are less around a table than perhaps they, they were five, ten or more years ago. So what you're saying is it's a a less formal way of communicating then? Yes, I think it's absolutely a less formal way of communicating. I think there are formal components to it, and maybe we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later when we talk about actually using the nature of programmes to drive social learning. Mm. Um, But I think in our day-to-day activities inside the workplace, it's very much an informal thing that already takes place. And what we perhaps now need to look at is how we enable that to scale up more than it does perhaps at the moment and and also crosses into the area that we categorize more as knowledge management as opposed to social learning which is how is all of that knowledge retained inside businesses and that social learning becomes a mechanism to enable that yeah Nina I think you mentioned knowledge management I think that sort of touches on one of the the problems with social learning I think is around the actual perhaps the use of the word learning Mm -hmm. Um, we it's more about sharing uh, problem solving communicating, being social, and uh, that people sort of get benefits from that, but whether that's actually learning or more sort of uh, like a resource or knowledge management, it's not quite the same thing, I think, and um, I think that's what partly creates problems with it. I suppose that's an age-old argument in some ways, isn't it, that continues to go on, where does learning 
learning stop and start and when is something just a matter of knowledge or do we just argue the fact that actually all of that is learning in its own right because we don't know something and somebody is teaching it to us in whatever format that and comes in. As soon as we say social learning and put that tablet, we're kind of formalising mm-hmm. it in, in some way, whereas actually what we're really talking about is something that's very informal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a strange one, isn't it? Because if we talk about formal learning... If I pick up on your phrase, formal learning in the old seventy twenty ten split, formal learning is that ten percent piece, isn't it? You know, it's the classroom yeah. piece. It's you know that that formal piece is, but social, I'm guessing, should really fit into the seventy, isn't it? Is it learning from others? No, that's the twenty. Where where, where, where it, does that where does that fit? It's an it, it, you know it's a really interesting point. When when we wrote the paper, one of the things that I played around in my head was where does where does it fit? If you listen to Charles Jennings, he very clearly puts it in the twenty. He says that learning social yeah. is learning from others. It's the collaborative part of the, the, the equation. I, personally, and my, based on my experience, say it's the 100. And mm-hmm. social is the byproduct of a learning process. If you're in a traditional classroom setting, you learn as much from the colleagues over lunch as you do from the, the person leading it. Then that's the social interaction. If you're working with uh, somebody on a, in a coaching relationship, you're learning socially from them. You're having that social conversation, but it's not, you know, it's not just governed or, or bound by that. And equally, you're learning in the workplace. You're, when you're sat with your colleagues at desks, you're, you're learning, you're sharing information via the internet, or you're sharing information on the phone, or as Nina said at the start, just because it's sat next to you. To try and categorise it and to stick it into into one box is really missing the point, I think. I think that's a really interesting point. If you go back to your question about what are people doing in the workplace mm. at the moment, one of the things we are seeing is people using formal programs as a mechanism to launch social learning, which means that that social learning actually very very rigidly sits at that moment in time yeah. inside the 10% because what people are saying is, why well, I want you to do a piece of e-learning, and then the call to action off the piece of this e-learning is that I want you to download this, take a picture of yourself doing it, and then I want you to recommend how we can make a good change um, towards this particular process or subject, and they're then generating social activity around that subject. But actually, it was born out of somebody saying, you have to do this. Yeah, so we see that on LMSs as well, process. don't we? So you have a programme on an LMS, which is, you know, here's an intro video, now do a piece of e-learning. Once you've completed all that, maybe we'll open up a forum. Mm. So you can discuss. But you wouldn't have got that to that point if it wasn't a formalised programme. So in a way, you sort of yeah. formalise it. But then the other side to that is you're not actually forcing people to interact socially there are you you're opening up you're giving them the, the tools but whether they do it or not pretty much up to them but i think i think the key is is recognition whenever we're doing any learning design be it learning design from a technology point of view or learning design generally from like a classroom or curricular point of view is that we are social animals and that we do communicate and we do share and we share not we share experiences we share stories we problem solve together and ultimately that's what learning's all about the reality of it is, is trying to contain this and put it into one, you know, this is all about technology or it's all about a learning programme. You know what? It, it, that's just the vehicle. And I think what we should be doing is recognising that you can use social learning, you can use informal learning as part of that process because it is happening. And we can help people structure people's conversations around topics that we're interested in. Do you not think that there's a natural barrier to that in that when we talk about how we naturally interact on a social level, so we, as I mentioned earlier, about having a network of confidants that we turn to when we seek advice, 
isn't one of the barriers around social learning is that you're asking people to step out of a zone that is built around confidence where we we choose to speak to particular individuals because we trust that we can expose our our lack of knowledge or weakness to those individuals and now what we're asking those people to do is to bear it to everybody um, and actually that some of the barrier is how do we encourage people to feel that this is a still a safe place for them to ask questions and to expose weaknesses in knowledge where actually on some parts people may expect that they should know mm. should know the answers mm. to it. And, and I think one of the things that we need to be looking at as part of that social experience is what does that look like? How do we stop it feeling like it's hierarchical, that there's any kind of downward viewing of what's going on in the site mm. um, and how do we encourage people to talk in the same way as they would amongst those that they felt most confident with and that's quite a big human transition that we're asking for and only a small population of people are naturally extrovert in wanting to expose their knowledge and that's a very small population of an organisation. So perhaps a, a better or warmer safer term phrase community learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which takes you back to the other academic aspect of this is communities of practice. Mm. And realistically, a community of practice is just exactly what you just described. It's mm. people who have share some common knowledge, either through their work that they do, you know, their colleagues who do the same sort of job, or through their location or through their social activity. And, and they trust. will share and they will trust each other. Mm. Um, Julian Stodd's just started to do some interesting work around trust and doing some investigation into what makes individuals trust organisations and vice versa. Because without trust, the reality around social learning becomes, there's, there's a big question mark over it. And therefore, how do you create communities of trust within organisations? Ultimately, people will communicate socially they will build a network, they will have people who they get on with better than other people who they want to share with. The reality of it is, is can organisations create that where that doesn't exist? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure they can. Um, and I think it, it has to be managed very carefully and subtly to, to help develop and engender that culture. The, the trust one, if I could pick up on that, I think the, the trust one's quite key to all of this, and that's someone feels, at whatever level they are in a business, they feel it's okay for them to put forward their opinion and to have their say and to answer the question. That's one side of it. The other, And I'd say the, the flip side of that is, if we were to think about using this in L&D and that we're compliance, for example, people are going to suggest things that potentially are, are wrong or not the procedure or not the way of doing it. So how do you maintain that trust whilst at the same time policing it and saying, well, actually, no, that's not the right answer? Yeah, it's a, it's a two-way street as well because there is trust between people. In, in the community, but also, of course, the organisation or the business has to, in turn, trust its people. Yeah. Well, I, I think trust is a really valid point. However, it's not necessarily just about trust. It's about a sense of understanding and competency. It is possible for human beings, we all do it, to make what we believe to be a sound recommendation. And actually, that's not about mistrusting that person. It's the fact that they are operating in their own belief and the fact that they could actually be making recommendations which aren't actually the best thing to be doing or aligned to what health and safety or compliance would be recommended. But then, if I could pick up on that, I'd say that in some ways that's probably one of the real strengths of having a social network where everyone feels um, confident enough to have their say because you actually find out what people actually really think mm-hmm. and then you're put in a position where you can action that and you can pick up and say, actually, no, this is what the procedure actually is and this is why. Because I would argue that, you know, without that, people are having those conversations anyway. They're just doing it, 
you know, having those conversations, as you said before, with, with their friend in the office or whoever it may be. So at least in that way, you've almost got it formalised and gives you the, or gives L&D the opportunity to set the record straight. Is that possible on a global scale? Is oh, there a point where this becomes unmanageable from a... Well, I, well, I don't know, because if you, if you think about the way... If I need to find out how to do something now, I'll either possibly look on... Let, let, let's say I'd either look online, I'd go and ask someone who I think knows, and I'll, I'll ask the question. Um, if I know someone's particularly strong in a certain area, I'll go directly to that person. If I'm not sure, I probably will put a bit of a call out and say, has anybody got experience in doing X? And I guess by using that social element there i've opened up the opportunity for so many more people to, to come back to me and give me the answer whereas in the past i think we would very much pigeonhole people to a certain extent based on the job role they've got to say right that must be the right answer because that's what that person thinks if i ask that question and that person who we've always asked before gives me one answer and 15 other people give me another answer or maybe that's questioning whether they're actually right in the first place i think it's interesting i think that one of the things that i played around in my head is that it's around quality as much as it is about trust. Um, and there's this need for organisations to maintain quality and understand that people are interacting with information that meets their standards, meets the standards that they, as an organisation, need to work towards for whatever reason. When you talk about social learning, you're talking about actually removing some of the controls of that so it becomes less parental, it becomes less instructional, it becomes much more freer society of information exchange um, and if you were to go down a completely social route where you just wanted people to learn by sharing that whole aspect of quality and quality control starts to erode mm -hmm. potentially to Nina's point is that we all have beliefs about what's right and what's wrong um, and soon things become apocryphal and we start to challenge what is actually fact um, and it's, it becomes something that's not because it's not controlled that you do lose you just lose control of the information there, itself. There is another uh, problem as well. I think it's like the TripAdvisor issue is that if you believed everything you read on TripAdvisor, then everywhere you want to go and stay smells of drains. Um, <laughs> and, that, and you know, I only certain people tend to go social uh, um, as well. So that you've actually sort of lost quite a large uh, um, proportion of the population who aren't bothering or don't wish. To, communicate in that way so, so i think you identified there there's some concerns i suggest which could therefore be seen as barriers to lnd about why do we get involved with this stuff and you know is, is it ready yet i think there's risks i think there's risks so what, what, to it. identify some of those what do you what do you think are the barriers that stop people going down that this route well i think the reality for me is that the moment you try to own something as an organization and you try to own social and you try and enforce it upon people and the culture doesn't exist and the set of behaviours doesn't exist, you end up in that classic thing where maybe it's because people have been told to do it that they don't do it. Maybe it's because actually you've only got 20% of the population who actually are socially engaged. Mm -hmm. The rest are lurkers and would like to lurk around that information and just access it when they want to, but not contribute to that. So the reality of it is actually you've got to create the right conditions, the right environment, recognise that, that people don't operate in a global sense necessarily. They operate within small communities of practice which work for them. So it's actually what you're trying to do is create those social connections versus the social platform. You're trying to enable and empower people to seek out information which is relevant for them when they need it. 
because really that's what social should be about. It's, it's about problem solving, it's about decision making, it's about how do I do my job better, quicker. So is it um, an ecosystem of uh, sort of smaller social communities? I think so, and I think it's less about maybe trying to own and create a big social infrastructure. I think it's about providing people with the tools, but recognising that you know there's going to be cultural differences, especially in global businesses, around how people communicate, what they do, when they do it, where they do it, that need to be factored into it as, as much as it is about empowering, enabling, and letting people do what they need to do. Um, I think the other issue is the whole thing around trust, quality, control. And, again, the more that you trust people um, and you trust that they'll self-police and that as a community, if the community is well-established, actually they will self-police and they will put people right and they will give, you know, share what they know. Um, the nature and the basis of community of practice thinking is, is it, it, it implies that at some point there is somebody who is a master within that community or people who are masters within that community. And the process is a, is, a, is a journey of education and learning from being on the outside of that community, you journey towards mastership in the centre of that community. And it's only through that process of sharing, contributing, challenging, that you become that master. What can we do to, to facilitate that? How can we make social success for those people that have maybe dipped their toes, that no one's doing it and walked away? Is that about the L&D team asking questions that you know, almost encouraging people to ask, answer and feel safe to be able to answer things? I think it's probably a mixture of things. And I think in particular, people have to see value and they need to understand what the value of this new new process is. If we look at one of the programmes that, you know, we recently did for a customer, there was some real value in people socially engaging because people's what they were talking about was being um, sort of almost measured as a form of innovation. So people would make recommendations via social networks and those were being pulled out of the social forums and then being recognised as possible business improvements or as innovation or incentives or whatever that might be. And those were then actually being driven down back into the business as, as new ways of working or new, in, new incentives. And because people could see change taking place... Suddenly there was like, actually, I've got to get on board with this. I need to do more of this because actually I am being heard and there is value in what I'm saying and it is being implemented in, in some form or another. So I think there's an element of why do people need it? What's the benefit in it for them? What's the benefit in it for the business? And then you've got to think about what goes on um, around that. I don't think that you can just stick technology out there and go, great, be social. I, I, and think, I, th I think that's a, that's an absolute key point. If I can pick up on what you're saying there, this isn't something you buy off the shelf. You don't go and buy a piece of software called Social Learning version 1.0. You're talking about cultural change in that business, aren't you? Yeah, and I think you also need to be make sure that you've got the right culture in the first place as well, and, and whether your culture is ready for it. And if it's not, what are the steps that it needs to go through get there and, and there are particular audiences where social learning is, is always just going to either be impossible or immensely challenging. You're going to have frontline workers who are working on rail tracks or are out on oil rigs or whatever and social learning is not going to be a fundamental part of their day-to-day -day existence because they are hard laboring individuals who are not sat in front of a pc and so social learning formulates back into its more human state rather than its online 
knowledge capturing and state. I, and I think that's a, it's an absolutely key point, is that this, for me, start to look at the role of learning and development and how that is changing and needs to change to reflect how we as society are changing and around our use, one, our use of technology and the fact that actually majority of people use technology day to day um, without thinking about it. You know, everybody's on phones or whatever and we're using it all the time and we're sharing all the time. You don't need to own and control it. So in some ways it comes back down to the learning and development need to look at curation and how do they curate information, which isn't just about pinpointing and highlighting information. It's about actually using what's out there, so be it socially driven or be it from a site like Anders Pink or be it just from Google, but helping people cut out some of the noise yep. around that knowledge and information and help them make sense of what's in front of them because there's so much. I would um, go further than that. <clears throat> Maybe you don't provide anything. Um, um, you, in, the, in an organisation, use it solely as a sort of problem-solving thing. That's how I would uh, promote well, it in the well, first place. Well, it's like a forum so, site you can ask me about. Yeah. yeah. So it's completely driven by, basically, the people who are participating in it. We're using it when they need it and for what they, you know, when they need help. And then, uh, and then if you can demonstrate that that works, um, and you can also show that problems of the past as well as problems of the present, um, then I think that you start to sort of, um, that people can see a purpose, a point for having or for going social. We, we do actually have a customer who uses it very much in that, in that capacity. They, they've got, um, you know, in an online sense, they have a social site that sits across their learning management systems. They're positioned in four countries um, across the globe. But those countries are at varying levels in terms of sort of engineering capability. Mm. And they do exactly that. It's an opportunity for an engineer in the UK to flag a question that someone in Asia may well answer whilst they're asleep. And they wake up in the morning and that answer is, is there for them. And I think that's how it could start and then it could grow. So you can start by saying this is a problem-solving Tool. And then, of course, it can grow because people will start to get trust in it, mm-hmm. see a value in it, tell other people about it, and then you can start to curate around the central problem-solving activity. But I think there's a recognition that it will work for some people if on a technological platform, and it won't work for others. Correct. You know, so I think your example, Nina, of the railway workers is a classic because they will probably spend their time, the guys out on the track fixing rails... When they finish their, their shift or whatever and they go back to the cabin and they're having a cup of tea, they'll be talking about the work problems. They'll be mm. talking about what they've just done that morning and the, the problem they had overcoming it. And that is part of, that's, that is social learning at its almost its rawest sense in terms of a delivery mechanism. We're now in a technological age where th- things are driven by the platforms in which we all operate on. And I think what we're trying to do, and this is what, where the complication is, we're trying to own that and almost own that too much and grab hold of it as a, this is a really great thing, which it is. And we're trying to, as a as learning and development communities, are trying to maybe just hold it to a little bit too tightly where it needs to just be released and allow it to happen organically. So if you'd like to find out more about social learning and how it works in the workplace, you can download this guide from kineo.com. If you want to continue the conversation... Pick up with us on Twitter at Kineo.